No, I think it's great, but you don't really get as angry as I do. do mm, I actually lately, because I've been <laughs> writing a lot of Swift code, I've been getting very you, angry at my tools. Oh, there you go. So what you can't picture is the side glance that Anthony <laughs> just gave. I don't know if it was anger side glance or if just like the, the monitors, the Skype thing is just not looking Asconce? Askance? How do you say that? <laughs> I don't even know what you're trying to say. So. I've always wanted to use that word, askance. I don't know Keep what trying. Hey, Siri, define askance. <laughs> oh, my God. With suspicion <laughs> or disapproval, which is exactly what I meant to say. And the, by the way, okay. <laughs> That's a the flawless quick... display of technology right there. This is amazing. This is as if I had a an actual intelligent computer, which I definitely don't. It's it's Siri, but I didn't know you could do this shit. Like I learned this yesterday from reading hey a Holman thing? post or something. The the Hey Siri thing. I turned oh, that I off, just, man. I, well, I me too because when it came out, I was like, oh, this is going to be super obnoxious. And then I read this blog post where uh, he was making fun of how if you have a girlfriend that has an iPhone and it's both plugged in, like yours and hers or yours and his are plugged in, then when you wake up and you say, hey, how cold is it outside? Oh, well, like, actually, hey, Siri, how cold is it outside? I wish I could fuck. See, it's screwed up because it's already on the screen. But if I say, hey, Siri, how cold is it outside? It doesn't seem particularly cold to me. About six degrees Celsius. See? And she's on the show now, so I'm going to get sued by Apple. Um, but... Uh, apparently, like both both phones do that, so it's super annoying. Uh, if you do any command like "Hey, wake me up," like "Hey Siri, tweet pooping." <laughs> that's one. That's a I good wish. one. Wait, actually, can do that, right? Yep. Hey Siri. She okay when she does one thing, she's just done. She's just done for doing the day. anything. That's like right, she's well. the easiest, nicest. Like how angry does that chillest. make you? Robot slave. Ever. Does that make you angry at your tools like we were talking about before you went on a Hey Siri side note? So just, okay, just before we, 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 we called each other, I, I thought of something like the Turing test for Siri. Hey Siri, what temperature is it and what time is it? Can you hear it that? It only cares about the time. That's it. So <laughs> who at Apple never thought that you know the whole like Unix pipe thing could be cool, like ever. Uh, pipe is like you take a command and then you shoot it to another command. That's that's even more complex than this. I'm just asking. I'm basically ampersand ampersanding. Oh, that's super nerdy. If you're not a programmer, it's it's like you have to run the two commands basically, like and give me the output of both, like first first second. So if you ask a computer what time is it with your fingers and then what temperature is it, super easy. Yet this. Stupid, simple task of, like, two orders just sequentially, you know. And I guess that's why I get angry at my tools. I just expect... This is not even intelligence. I don't even... Like, do you expect AI? Do you expect something smart? I don't even expect something smart from Syria. Like, I try to mold my queries to her puny brain. I'll be cloud. honest in that the only thing I use Siri for in the morning... Okay, so I have, I have an issue... I have issues waking up, like... <laughs> With alarms, just generally. Tell so I set I set a lot of alarms. I'm like I because I'll just keep sleeping the whole time. So, like I don't. I uh, you issues. say okay. You say a lot, and I feel like as a huge fan of quirks and compulsions, <laughs> I have to ask you how many? How many is um, a lot? So is it a like, whole a lot or? Um, every ten minutes there's an alarm. For how long? Uh, I I have a bunch in there that I don't always use, but I'll, you know, like the hour I want to wake up, I'll put the that hour's block on or something like that. So that's you know that I mean? that would be sixty, uh, six sixty alarms. six times. Okay, yeah. six times ten. Yeah, okay. minimum. But that's a, so the only thing is... I use Siri on or for is in the morning. I can you can say disable all alarms and it will turn them all off. Yes, and oh. that's the only thing I I use Siri every morning. And it's for that task, and I never think about Siri again. Oh. I, and I so, think it's just because, like what you're saying, I don't have any expectations for what I'm going to get out of it. So I don't. it's not that. become a thing that I think about using. That, but the problem with Siri is tied in with so many of our concerns. One of our concerns way back, I think... Olivia just the first did episode? the thing from Chocolate Rain YouTube video where he <laughs> leans away from the mic to breathe. <laughs> 
<laughs> just want to point trust. that out. That's where you can't the trust exact, anybody, by the way. The exact thing from, from that. <laughs> Except I wasn't breathing, I was anyway, burping. Yeah, it's fine. Continue. Uh, I'm drinking water. It hooks into way. a lot this of our concerns. Completely... That's what you were saying. The concern was, so the first episode was on, did we talk about change logs? Anyway, mm-hmm. the first episode was about either release notes or change logs. The reason I think there's a whole, like there was kind of a debate between when we were we existed on the internet last and now <laughs> uh, the debate was how much has siri improved and should i care now and i was kind of amazed because i i used to do complex queries with siri and i gave up on those because one it was too slow two it was congested so it gave up and three i didn't really think this through and i really don't have a third thing um <laughs> It's just a but good number you wanted to go with. It you feels wanted, nice you wanted to have had, three points, but it never, never came together. It's always you always look smarter with three fingers. Only if you no. do like the okay hand, though. But that's weird in America. But like, it's no very. One does it's, this. A, it's like you it's mean like it feet. when you're counting three like it's that. Like Especially if you do an feet. okay hand, palm facing up, and count off with your other index finger. That's like, a... that's a power move. It's true, but see that, that I, you'd have to be a thought leader to do oh, that. Yeah. Like, I can't do you'd that. You'd have to right. be looking up and to the right a little bit. See, I use my thumb for one. That's just weird. Is that yes. a Europe thing? I don't think so. I've had arguments about this. I really like this where we're going. Like, the, the nowhereness <laughs> of this the conversation, I, I'm enjoying quite a bit. So, let's go back to Siri really quick. Um, so, I used to try... So when, of course, you get Siri. It's like, oh, my God, there's a robot in my computer, uh, in my phone. It's even better. <laughs> uh, and so, I tried a bunch of stuff, and I was... Of course, you have this, like, immense letdown of a, like, wondered... No, that's not how you use that. Uh, of, a, of a child full, full of wonder, right? Like Anthony looking at a rocket. <laughs> and <laughs> it's true, though. <laughs> He's like, you, you're not even reacting. No, not this, at all. That was totally this, true. This, this yeah. truth, absolute truth. Uh, and so do you try things like, hey, Siri, can you turn off my brightness? Okay, this is a oh, my God, <laughs> it actually works. This it's used to not work. Of this, absolute victory. <laughs> this, you can't, of course, yeah, I can't prove it to you, but she put it at the minimum. And then wait, I that works the, now. It actually works now. So can that you do Bluetooth, do Bluetooth. Hey, Siri, turn off Bluetooth. Oh my god! <laughs> this is Epiphany episode, the Siri Epiphany. Okay, but here's this Can is we the just root call issue. It the, let's just call it. This Siri is the epiphany. issue. Yes, there's two issues that I'm thinking of. Hey Siri, what's the issue? I don't know. Well, she'll tell. Oh, she's, she's checking on it at least. Yeah, <laughs> it's just definition of the issue in the Webster. The two issues are if. As a well, let me start with the other one because the second one, <laughs> this first one, I was going to say is more interesting to go off of. So if you the were using Ruby, you is... take issues, the issues array, and you call dot reverse <laughs> on it. Yes, reverse this around. First go. issue is Siri either has to do everything or it does nothing for us. And the reason that is is because if people don't know what to expect out of it, they don't know what to do with it. So therefore, it not it doesn't become a thing that gets used. So if I don't know what I can do with this thing, I won't use it. And it's not helpful for someone to say, well, it does everything if the first, second, or third thing you ask it doesn't work. Because then you immediately lose, oh, well, it doesn't actually do everything. It doesn't understand two questions in a row about the simple state of the world around me. So it clearly doesn't do everything. I don't know what to make of it. I'm not going to use this thing. And this is is like a general issue with technology, as it is. You know, for us, we like to push all the buttons on a thing and figure it out and that's fine like i remember growing up my parents would get a new car and i would push every button in there just to see what they did <laughs> yeah and they would get very mad that but that's just i like to push buttons it's fine but mm-hmm. you know other people you, that don't don't like to screw around with siri to see what's possible well more important yeah more importantly you're not afraid of what you could break doing yes. that whereas everybody reasonable and sane in the world does not want to deal with breaking whatever setting it's going to break because they're assuming, ah, of course it's going to break a thing. Cause I'm just gonna... So I had the same thing with VCRs myself. As like, I'd be like, hey, who needs to read the manual? And I think that ties into what you were saying. It's, it's not so much about the manual here. Like, seriously, you're not going to... It's a natural language processing interface. But it's an interface. And there's no guidelines to the interface. So I think it was... I think it was Mark... Someone had a really cool blog post. Maybe we'll find it. Where... Uh, 
I, no, that was it was Zach Holman. So it was this article that from from Zach Holman. So uh, ZachHolman.com, uh, and it's called Three Two One Internet. It'd be great if you told me the uncanny valley of voice recognition. This is like well, like we planned this whole thing, um, and he talks about the fact that the interfaces for voice recognition are completely inconsistent compared to just the most basic human graphical user interfaces. Xbox has a whole different expectation set of expectations. It's really binary, really simple. Whereas um, Amazon's weird echo thing has a different one. And then Samsung spying on everything you say uh, interface has a different one where it just doesn't care what you say, but it records everything. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas uh, Apple's is kind of like, sometimes it is like you said, it's like, you can't win at this interface if you only get half right. Pe- people are going to give up. So for me, I gave up three years ago. And then suddenly, there's people like... It's not even Apple doing its job, like really, as they're great at marketing. This is one of the reasons that Apple succeeds when it comes to technology is that they're good at teaching or or warning people, hey, there's this cool thing. You should really try it. It's really good. It's going to change your life. But for Siri, they suck at it. And they don't even have release notes. So there's not even a thing that says, like, in that super little neat... You know that that new app, the Tips app that came out with uh, iOS 8? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that you never saw ever again? Is that still on my phone? Did I put that in my unused folder and not see it again, or did it go away? Yep. Well, I don't know if you put it in your unused, but I I don't know if you can delete it. This is what the first thing that it tells me. Quickly type internet addresses. Really? This is like a five-year-old tip. Like, nobody... Everybody knows mostly i don't oh, yeah that's the same one i have right now find a film with siri okay there's some siri tips in there but but it's right. completely hidden and that's so, like that's the thing they, they've right. it's all about the expectations they've set for the thing and they've tried to do like i think if, even if you still sorry this is an entire episode about siri but if you <laughs> if you just pull up the siri interface yep it does well, they the, changed it some things you can ask me mm-hmm. and it gives you a few example questions and it rolls through them so they're trying to set expectations, but yep. there's the issue with something like this is that there's no bounds, right? That, that's the good and the bad thing is that there's no well, there bounds. Shouldn't be. Yeah, there, there shouldn't be. There shouldn't be, right. but but there clearly is syntax that you have to get right in these things. Yes. And it's limited in a way that's unexplainable because there's just certain things it doesn't do. It doesn't do two questions, but that doesn't say it there. It doesn't say, right. ask me these five questions in a row. It says, these are five questions you can ask me. Right. So it's pretending not to be voice commands, but really it is just a really, really much, much improved version of voice command. Right. And I actually, so do you remember voice command, like 3GS or like 3 Yeah, or yeah my 3GS, 3GS, I remember that, yeah. Voice so control. How angry did you used to get at a voice command? I didn't ever use it because it was not useful to me because I didn't, it never really worked. Was well, it good? Me, I think it was good for playing music or doing things th- with music, there. right? Okay. And that's exactly what Siri sucked at when it came out. I was like, hey, play me this thing. And it'd be like, oh, let me just talk to the internet. I, you have my entire library right there. And you have to talk to the internet, which is slow. And on 3G, whatever it is on 3G, if I'm driving, maybe it's not. Like, the thing it was supposed to save me from doing, which is touching my phone when I'm driving, suddenly became slow in, uh, over voice command because it had to go through the internet to parse my answer and then send it back in a response and then see, oh, you do have this uh, music that you just asked for. The the thing that's interesting, too, is the when you ask something. So if you go to that list, let's say the uh, the example they use is uh, the example for web searching is uh, where's the weather? No, there it is. Search the web for polar bears. OK, so if I ask, find me a website about polar bears. That actually worked. So, see, this is the kind of stuff that used to, to break Siri is that you would paraphrase the instruction interface, I guess, or use a slightly different thing. And there's always that moment where it's just going to... So, this is what pisses me off with my, with my tools, I guess, is the um, the inconsistency in the either the jargon or the interface. It's just like... Yeah. Ugh. It's totally an expectation issue. This is the, the thing that's been in my tool that's been giving me hell lately is Xcode. Um, Oof. So we're writing a lot of Swift code. We're just mm-hmm. diving in because that's the way that we decided to go about it. Um, and Xcode is not necessarily built for it yet. 
And let me just walk you through a few of the things that I've started to do to get around this stuff. Oh, yeah, and I've done notes. them so much already that I don't even notice that I'm doing them anymore. <laughs> and that's the stuff that you know is an issue. Okay. Yep. So the first one is, okay, and I should lay the groundwork for this, that the, the main issues are just that the compiler that is within Xcode, that is taking my Swift code, compiling it into an iOS app, and running it, is not that great at understanding. Uh, they give you these little hints of ways to fix errors that are, you know, compile time errors. It'll little, say... Little underlines? Right? It'll give you a little underline, a little icon that you can click on, and it says, hey, this thing broke. We suggest adding this. And you can hit enter, and it will do it, right? Okay. And I, I tweeted a couple of days ago <laughs> that... Let me find this tweet for you. I, so, I, while you're ser- searching, I'm hoping that one of them is like, hey, you're not that great at programming. You should probably yeah, quit. You should probably just go back to being a waiter. It would be like Paul Ford's anxiety box. I don't know if you've heard about this. I have heard about that. This is a really cool episode of Reply All. He talked Where about is it. it. Anxiety box. See, I should probably jot this okay, down while you're searching. Okay, here it is. There it is. All right. I'm going to just paste this to you. We'll post it in the show notes because this is fun. Um. So some of the things that Swift does are these things called optionals, which we don't really need to get into too far, but they're variables in programming that could be there or they could be nothing, right? So <laughs> sounds like a great idea. It's It could be nil or it could be a value, and it's supposed to make some certain things easier, which it does. Um, but the interface for those when you're programming relies on uh, punctuation. So question mark means that this thing is optional. And exclamation point means that I want the value out of this, regardless of whether it's set or not. There's all this sorts of weird stuff. Um, and it gives you little tips. The compiler gives you little tips sometimes to fix your coding. And around this... <laughs> fix your coding. Yeah, so around some of these optionals that I was writing, it, it gets itself confused to the point when it starts adding layers and layers of fixing its own issues. So it what? told me, so this little uh, tweet that I sent out is a little image of my code one day that all of these punctuation marks, it suggested itself. So it it had me insert a question mark, and then it had me insert a question mark after the word as that was after that first question mark. <laughs> and because it put those two in place, then it said, after the word double, which is right next to that, you should put an exclamation point. And then after all of that, it said, hey, you know what? I think I need another exclamation point here. And I I stopped doing this because I realized that it was just going to keep adding punctuation and adding punctuation <laughs> because every quote every exclamation point and question mark that it added it thought it needed to correct itself for instead of deleting the exclamation points it added more so it started to become this entire loop where it was fixing its own errors but in the wrong way and this is just one example another example I, wait before you uh, get to right, the other right. example maybe you stopped the singularity from happening I might have. It might have been like Maybe Desmond from Lost. I was sentient, about to turn the two keyholes or whatever. Yeah. It was about to just become aware. I think what actually would have happened, would I, I would have had 80 exclamation points after that line. And I would have seemed like really excited coding. I want you to do this if it ever happens again. And just keep going with it and us. see how far it goes. Exactly. It, it how far bad. does it go until the memory just, like, I don't know. Until it crashes. I want to know what happens. It got bad. Second thing. Um, Second thing. So... <clears throat> With this interface I'm talking about where it suggests hints, right? If you do something that's going to break the the compiler, break the app code when you try to compile it, it'll tell you what your error is. And if there is a solution, it will suggest it. And if there's not a solution, it will just tell you the thing that's wrong and then you're on your own to figure it out. Okay. The issue is that that's (laughs) all built for Objective-C. Uh-oh. So... These error hints work in Swift, mm-hmm. but every once in a while, if you're writing Swift code that's going to interact with Objective-C, <laughs> it will say there's an error, but the entire error will be, cannot build Objective-C module. No shit. That is until you quit Xcode, reopen Xcode, and then it gives you all of the errors in the Swift code that you've been writing for the last half hour, <laughs> and you have like eight errors, because you didn't realize that Objective-C can't handle something. Point being... I expect Xcode to tell me errors as I type them, right? That's yeah. just, that is the expectation it has that's set for itself. how lazy and, and complacent you've become. Oh, totally. But that's the expectation that it has set for me over these years, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know after all these years typing Objective-C that if I hit a wrong character and I spell a method name wrong, it's going to tell me that thing doesn't exist. So figure out what's going on there. But now in Swift code, 
you know, whether or not the compiler's not there or whatever, they're working out. I expect these errors <laughs> to be popping up as I write, and right. they are just not. They're failing, and then I quit Xcode and I come back, and there's like eight errors. Which so it's like, it's just. It's betraying it's, you twice. It's breaking the expectations that it has set for me after all this time. Ugh. And this, I don't know, like, the way that Xcode set these expectations for me was just that's the way that Xcode worked for so long. Right. And it worked, you know, I, when I st- was starting out, I wasn't doing anything so complex that broke Xcode horribly. So I got to know the ways that it worked and all that. With Siri, though, mm-hmm. it never was able to set expectations in a way that was obvious. And the best they tried was that screen we were talking about. But I don't know, like, how do you set those expectations when you're building something? Is it through the way you divine the, design the interface? Is it no, creating actions that right are word. obvious? Is I that... think divine was correct. Divine? <laughs> it's not design. It's Divining divine interface. the interface. Um, like, in there... Xcode's example, it, it, it set those expectations by doing a thing. Right. So the problem I have with Siri is that I... So... I think the designers of the the original iPhone interface, uh, uh, Matas, and uh, all the other people involved in 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 creating the language of the interface, right, of something that we'd we'd sort of seen in really really shitty stylus UIs, but really never with a thumb and never with the kind of swiftness <laughs> uh, when it when it came to like the speed of the interface, like the responsiveness and stuff like that. Um, they it seemed like they did not realize that voice was an interface just the same as that new visual language for iOS 8 or that new visual language for iOS the for the first iOS interface it needed like it needed the hard work of defining conventions and and rules and limitations whereas it seemed like the way they presented it and that could be to you know to fault whoever introduced Siri I can't remember who did but um on stage you know it's like it goes all the way back to that like if you if you hype it so hard that it looks like it's san- like sentient then you're just setting it up for a fall and i feel like for the iphone or for any really well-designed um computer interface you you can't say it's gonna just do everything since like since sliced bread like it if if you say that then you're you're just screwing over all the people who busted their ass to make this insane feat of like, take your voice, compress it on the client side, send it to a server, have it analyzed, send it back, compress back to the client. So this client hand unpacks the response and triggers prepackaged whatever scripts. I don't even know how, it, like, I don't even know how it works. All that is insane. It's crazy. And to sell it like it's a, a personal assistant, it feels like Apple did with Siri exactly what Apple never does, basically, which is ship something too early when it's exciting but yet not finished. And now that it, it is far more finished than it used to be three years ago, four years ago, Jesus, um, oh. then, yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it, people don't, haven't noticed. For, so to, to f- I, I, I use Siri for a bunch of things. Never really complex things like you, but there are things that I notice when I use them, it blows people's mind, and it's super simple stuff like this one, wake me up in eight hours. Because you don't think. There you go. Now you know how late it is. (laughs) Uh, Now you know that, that... it, although it is not, it, it really can't have a set interface for that because I'm not saying like wake me up in in at nine ten because, of course, that's the expectation. Like it's just the same as kind of like oh it, you have this conceptual mapping mindset of an alarm clock works because I set the time, but you never thought about hey, I need to ask my alarm clock to figure out wherever the like, whenever the fuck eight hours is. And wake me up so that I have slept exactly how long I'm supposed to sleep. And to me, that was a life changer. When I figured out that Siri did that, it wasn't because someone told me on a little cute little screen. It was because (laughs) I tried it and it worked and it blew my mind. I was like, yes, that was such a win. And someone at Apple thought about it. And then the next day, there's going to be a thing where I ask an obvious thing, even simpler than that, that involves some dynamic behavior. And it, it just goes... I'm sorry. What are you asking? And there, I'll I'll be deflated, basically. 
Android. I think iOS has always had an issue with this, though. Like the the setting expectations thing. I'm thinking about. Mm-hmm. We always say that, not we, but we, the little large we, always say that gestures we. gestures are the keyboard shortcuts of touch interfaces, meaning that yes. they're the way to do things faster if you're a power user or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So like the you know Mac OS set up the expectation that if you're a power user and you want to use a bunch of keyboard shortcuts, you can find the keyboard shortcuts in the menus mm-hmm. where those menu actions are. Oh, right? I love where you're going. Keep but going. But iOS has never had that. They just nope. said, you know what? Fuck it. Slide left on an item <laughs> to show the delete thing, even though you normally can hit edit to get that. <laughs> um, and then, oh. Oh, you can have both. You can hit both. Yeah, you can do both. But it doesn't tell you that anywhere. And then later in iOS 7, it's like, you know what? Slide the little messages to the left, which you think might delete them because that's mm-hmm. the thing that they set. But mm-hmm. now it just shows a little time thing. And mm-hmm. to delete it, you have to hold it down and then hit more and then go to the delete. And you can only, like, tap on the things. So there, there's not that these are bad interactions, but there's no way to lay the groundwork of those expectations for what a thing does. And especially in the cases where someone wants to use an interface faster, they, they understand what the thing's doing, they want to use it better. There's no easy way to do that with such small space but I don't know if that's just because that was never an important thing to do because they wanted it to be, you know, Chromeless or whatever. Mm-hmm. In the way that Mac OS, like we have this menu bar, but why don't we have a menu bar on iOS? Not that we need one. Not that I say we should have one. But it's funny that by nature, the touch interface of saying that you're touching this app instead of it being a thing that is on your big screen that you're, you know, you're working with. It's just. Menu bar never became a thing. We have a status bar, but you can't do anything with it, and it's very tiny. <laughs> Mac OS, we have this whole menu bar that you can put like eight level deep menus with all of these crazy complex labels for things, for actions. And in iOS, you get like a toolbar button where you can put like actions or a little icon that has an arrow up out of a box that says actions. Mm-hmm. Which. What about the, the today screen, I guess? The little widget thingy. What about like it? Maybe well, you're it's, saying that's like a menu bar. It it's kind of turning into that because but it's, the issue is that sections and that's actions point. that are that are flattened compared to the other thing. But I but guess it doesn't it doesn't expand the, the functionality of the app you're in. No, it, you know what I mean. No, it it gives you shortcuts to like right. specific things. Which I you know what to be honest, actually that's kind of what my menu bar does for me. Like I have Fantastical, and I don't oh, have to. Oh, the right side of my menu bar is like it's it's right. It's a it's wild west side? out there. Jesus, I have that <laughs> the... whole thing that extends your menu bar to give you more things. Uh, bartender. Bartender, yeah. Yeah, it. Uh, I, I have it's... probably a good twenty items in my menu bar. Huh. Yep. That's but see, it, oh, they're all useful. Go. It's good. Another problem. Persistently, well, this is completely shoot like tangent on a tangent, but I run out of space on my menu bar all the time because it's useful to you. Yeah. But I'm a power user, so that again, let's go back to the power user thing because I think I think that was really. It's not so much that it's not discoverable, right? Those those swipes and even series amazing little things. It's not so much that it's not discoverable, but it's only accidentally discoverable. Like, yes. how would you possibly just like do a thing with your finger? It's like w- what you said about the menu bar, the not the menu bar, but the menus in in OS ten. So the menus by by which I'm we mean whatever's next to like or right of the apple so like for if i'm in chrome it's going to be the chrome thing that has file edit view history bookmarks window people help and when i click on file and i roll down it says new tab and then right in front like opposed to new tab it says command t Ooh, i've learned that i don't have to click on new tab or find a little stupid plus sign and i can make a new tab ditto for um what is it close tab yeah, close tab is command W. Once you know that, you're like, oh, open, close, open, close. You'd like open 35 tabs and you're super happy. You can never do that because it's not discoverable other than, oh, I just right. swiped, Oops, stumbled left. upon that. How did I do that again? And then, of course, that's a horrible thing in a UI like this. Uh, like if, I, if you've ever tried to teach someone, a, a, maybe as a kid, you'll do what we used to do, which is just like, just swipe everywhere because you just expect shit to just move all over. But then the problem is like reproducing that action takes a lot more work than just clicking in the same spot and looking. Yeah. The thing I, I always wonder is like if 
So for there was a trend for a while to have these super complex tutorials where there's like <laughs> arrows drawn everywhere and it's oh like to do this thing you got to swipe that way with three fingers but one pinky's got to be in the bottom corner <laughs> and there's these crazy complex drawings that like you know yep. that, yeah, uh, they're all over they all over still, the place and that I'm went away sure because people, well there's like onboarding flows now where it's multiple screens and it tells what? you about all these things and it asks you for push notifications on your contacts and also like all the other private stuff that people get freaked out about those things mm-hmm. they just say no to a bunch of stuff and then nothing works yep but i always been interested in like what if you expose this stuff like the keyword shortcuts menu item thing works well because it's exposing that data to you when it's in context when you're looking for it mm-hmm. right so what if in what if the third time that you use the edit button in mail to expose the little mass editing things right yep like on the on the list item view when you hit edit and the little red do not enter signs come up and you're going to delete them all mm-hmm. what if it, like the third time you hit that it told you then Hey, you know what? To do this faster, you could do this little slide thing or something. Not, that, you know, this is, is a bad example, but no, my that point is, is a good example. Well, expose the power user feature, whatever we want to call it. Expose the affordance that exists when you're in context and when you can use it and when you'll remember it. Because if I tell you 20 things up front when you launch my app the first time of all these different ways to do everything, you're not going to remember you're, because you don't even know what the app hate, does yet. And you'll hate me because right. you'll be like, ah, shut up. You'll just be clicking because you want to get into the app first. Yeah. So if. I just tailor it towards, you know, when when someone's using something heavily. If someone's using something multiple times, they obviously do that thing enough to the point that they would care right. that an interface exists for them to do it better. So you you said the word affordance and this is where I'm almost tempted to ah oh crap, I opened mail. You love the word affordance. I really do, Chris but the Burke, problem is man. that there's no such thing like it, anymore. You, anymore exactly the kids and these I, days and they don't even they, in my day we had affordances <laughs> and that's the that's, we had oh little grabbers anybody knows this guy like him, him being old-timey dude um the the problem i wonder if like jacob nielsen or like don norman have a, a like a research any kind of research on affordances when it comes to touch interfaces but probably not because they probably i mean, I mean there's touch obvious anymore. touch interface like touch affordances yeah what did you say no because they don't believe in mobile i was just bashing them because they're they've been <laughs> Yeah. They've been yeah. back in our day. They've been back in my day. We kids had affordances. <laughs> what? Well, I I don't I know. Agree there with was them a, on that, but you, yeah. And so I, there are obviously affordances. To me, it's ups, like it's it's clear that iOS seven is a huge step backwards in in affordance discover discoverability. This this okay. Let's right there on this show that's listened to by fifteen people tops. Let's just agree that this bullshit that Apple spewed about how people get touched now and we don't have to explain things anymore, there's just, maybe we've already talked about this, but I don't even care. It's such utter bullshit. It's not true. You can't stop teaching people how to use interfaces because a bunch of people have already bought, bought your product. Like, the perfect example right there, case in point, like, in one quarter, Apple sold more phones than it did in 2007. Don't tell me these people know how to use the iOS interface. They've yeah. never had one. Don't tell me that a significant number of people have not... This is their first device. Like, that, right. Don't tell me that that's not the case, or else you're screwed. Yes. <laughs> and that's just... It's just... It's, it's, it's hubris. It's, you know, lack of humility, all that stuff. It's just like, oh, no, no, we don't have to... We don't have to... We don't have to be obvious anymore. What? And this is what happens when you start going down that path. You're like, well, we'll add this neat, like, neat little nifty user power feature. User power feature? <laughs> and so what you said, I think I've seen what you've described. So the basically um, interaction count, right? You say you have a counter in the background. If you do this test three times, on the third time, I'll tell you, hey, you're being useless. I'm just thinking that, like, you're we being always inefficient. joke about... Yeah, we always joke about... The fact that, I mean, like Microsoft Word has more yeah. functionality than you can ever use in your life, right? Oh, that's not what I thought you were going to. Oh, no, I I'm just saying. Talk those... about Clippy. Oh no, screw Clippy. We're not talking about Clippy. The the <laughs> point is that like there is in Word and Excel and all all that stuff, and even at this point Keynote, like there is more functionality in those things than it's the eighty twenty rule. 80% of the people are going to use 20% of the functionality, mm-hmm. right? There's going to be yep. an entire area of the app that nobody cares about just because they don't do the things in their life that would require that feature. 
So don't tell them about it because it's not relevant to them. Mm-hmm. But if in that case, if you're using something in the app over and over again, it shows it it can teach the app that that thing is important to you. And the app can educate you a little more on those things. Rather than just saying, we need to educate our users about our app. What if we said, we need to educate our users about the parts of the app that they care about. That they already use. That they use a bunch and they can do better. Because just telling them how to use the app better when they haven't even used the app yet is so useless. Because <laughs> how do they know which part is relevant to them? They won't. It's telling them too much. It overloads their... Not that they're stupid or anything, but it's just overload because they haven't used the app yet. Like, they don't know what parts they should pay attention to. It's it's kind of similar to when whenever you start a new job or you come to a new place and this person hands you, like, a big list of things. So this does this and this does that. And when you pull this lever, lever people die. And by the way, here is the toilet. Like, no! Yeah, too much. You're just... No! Let's just talk about that lever. That sounds like I should care about this first. You're okay. I agree on the on the uh, refining the workflow of people who of, of the the parts of the apps, the parts of the tools that people actually use. That seems like a great idea. It's kind of like the. Um, I think I heard about this from Ben Orstein. Like every morning, kind of like try to find the way to um, improve your workflow with the one thing that you do instead of like learning a new thing necessarily and make the thing you already know faster. I like that. And the app could totally, I mean, a computer's job would be to do that. That makes total sense. But at the same time, I, I, I don't want to give up the idea that I could, now the problem is when and where and how uh, teach uh, someone about a feature of an application of a tool that that I that could actually make their life better. The problem is that this is far more clippy ter- territory than <laughs> clippy well, territory. Well, no, I don't. I don't think that. Right I think that everyone should know about the features, right? And that teaching them about the features is fine. But like, yeah, it's you want to teach them faster ways to do things, not yeah. the fact that they can do something because they're. They're going to find out, you know, they, they are at your app or your web app or whatever it is. They're there for a reason because it's something is useful to them. And they, they've seen a feature or, or read about a feature that they want to use to make their life better, make their workflow better, whatever it is. So if they do it enough, then let's expose how to do it better and not get into clippy territory and say, you could do this. Did you know that you could do that other thing too? Mm-hmm. Yeah, to be that guy. You know what? Uh, this is rare. I don't know if it's rare. I'm wrong and you're right. I don't think... I just realized that this idea of like, please use the 80%, please, is is just needy. It's just like, <laughs> I worked so hard to make the 80%. I just... You're just using the 20. It's just, just desperation, basically. That 80% is not going to fit into that person's life. You know what's weird? And not everyone's 80% is the same 80%. Well, that... That's the big one. Well, there's you build that. A bu- you build a bunch of stuff because people use different parts of things, and they're going to use. This is getting so vague at this point, but no, 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 no. Everyone's eighty percent that they don't use is different. That's okay. We that's could say probable. that everyone's twenty percent is this is different. Right. That's probable, but at the same time, there would be an overlap. And as an application developer, here's the thing: I, I that kills me. Removing the eighty percent. This is what Apple knows how to do, and very few people have the guts to do. Piss off the few power users that are using that really cool thing in iMovie, or that really cool thing in Final Cut, and not necessarily to bring it back ever again. Actually, you might say, "Oh, wait, wait, we're just, well, maybe we'll bring bring it back later," but you're not gonna bring it back. It's it's gone on the farm over there in Kansas. It's it's dead. So basically, killing the eighty percent. That sounds like a. <laughs> Occupy Wall Street. Sorry. <laughs> I am not against uh, the uh, the ninety nine. I think it depends what type of thing you're building. If you're building something that is as general, general purpose. purpose as a word, word processor mm-hmm. or a text editor or whatever it is, build the build a hundred percent. You know, because you're okay. building a general enough application that people are going to find the ways that they want to use it and use that part, and that's totally okay. But if you're building something that is is very uh, people always say opinionated software and all that, where it's built in a way that is the way that that person believes it should be done or something like that. Like, um, let's see, like Overcast is a good example. Mm-hmm. Um, he's building that 
Mark Orman is building Overcast to to make a very particular type of person happy, right? He's not putting in mm-hmm. every feature that podcasts can do. He's not putting in streaming and downloadable no. video and video podcasts. And for I that hate him for matter. that. Yeah, like right, but that's that but would he's be, right, and he's, I hate him anyway. He's right because he wants to build his app that way. Right. And yeah, if he added that, would that be in your twenty percent of the app that you used? Sure, mm-hmm. but. You know, he he's building it in a way that's, you know, there's another general purpose podcast app that works for you, podcasts, mm-hmm. right? That's the thing that has 100% of the features. Ugh. People only use 20% of I, I'm just saying that. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. it does podcast things, right? It doesn't, it, it's a <laughs> yeah. general podcast app. Yeah, that's true. So people that use that would use 20% of it. But people that use Overcast are looking for specific things that it does, whether that's smart speed or whatever it is in there. They're looking for those features more yeah. than they want the massive breadth of another podcast. I, what really bothers me when you talk about general purpose, wow, porpoise tools? General purposes? <laughs> general turtle tools. Uh, do you like him? Um, no? <laughs> no? <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, um, what bothers me is that I don't want to build those tools. And so when you say, because it's general purpose, you should have... <laughs> I'm imagining a turtle general uh, because you, you <laughs> I didn't get what you're saying before. Gen- really general funny purpose. Now. I'm gonna write that one down. General purpose. Oh, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> the only reason I now understand is because you did a little salute when you said general purpose that time. Yeah, then nobody else gets to see that. So now I'm trying to to actually because I have a point. You're, you don't want to build general purpose software. Why not? No, because because. So you talked about the 100%, right? Or the 80% features, right? So these features that maybe a few crazy adventurers are going to discover and love you so much for. The problem is that the the reward... Okay, maybe a few of them are going to send you an email and say, oh, God, I love you for this crazy Excel. Oh, man, I can tabulate. It's, it's amazing. Uh, like shift tabulate. <laughs> I love man, Excel, tabulate. guys. It's my new favorite <laughs> character I that you have. I, I have a... <laughs> I actually had a roommate um, who's a great guy, Tim Faust. Oh, I hope he hears this ever. But he's a wizard with Excel, and I've always wanted him to teach me. But this is exactly what just he would go batshit for that one feature, I'm sure. But the problem is maintaining this is just not fun because you have this huge weight of all the maintainership of the 20% that a lot of people use and break and bug and, you know, all that stuff. And then there's this 80 fluffy little part that you you have affinities for and you, you're like, oh, but I made this really, really cool, like, power user thing and, and one password that allows you to type in your password and it shows you all the passwords that match that password. You know, something like that that's not very obvious and doesn't really have a discoverable interface, but a bunch of people love it to death. But... How do I weigh what I should maintain? You know, should I make the twenty better than what it is and more accessible? And as we said, like make it realize, make people realize that they can be more efficient with that twenty percent core set of features, or should I waste or you know invest the time in maintaining those features that most people, even though they they span a long you know footprint that most people actually don't use. So those 80%. That's I think it depends on like, yeah, but it doesn't have to depend on what, concern. if you made like a heat map of the, the, right. of everyone's 20%, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know what that would look like. That sounds like a crazy graph, but it would that be really amazing. cool. Yep. But if you, if you made that heat map and said like every user of your app, there's a little circle that shows what features or whatever you, you know, whatever things they're using, what 20% is theirs and overlaid that, right? It depends if if you have an app that there is a very well-defined 20%. Maybe your app, um, like Slack, is a really good example. Mm -hmm. There's a very well-defined 20% of features that people use in there. If you're building an app like Sublime Text, there's not really a 20% that would be... There's the typing, Mm -hmm. but... Yeah, like that's there's not a very well there's not as well of a defined twenty percent. There that's might true. be, but it's also a lot of overlap. User, right, right but I mean, purpose. okay, like Alfred. How about something like that, like a workflow productivity thing? Mm-hmm. There's not a very well defined twenty percent of functionality in that. It's it's more spread out 
And there's there's certainly hot points and something you know like launching applications with Alfred or something like that. There's a hot mm-hmm. point, but the it's like a longer tail of of interactions and things like that. So yeah. if you have it, it depends on what kind of app it is because you could say you know what kill the eighty percent that's just bogging me down because everyone clearly cares about this thing mm-hmm. or this main part of my app. But if you have something that's more open ended, then you kind of have to support everything but you're right in that those those applications tend to be more with, with the exception of word processors and spreadsheets and things mm-hmm. that exist in google docs and stuff like that with the exception of those types of applications you know they're, they're more tilted towards people who are very into their workflow and and into right. the idea of making things faster and better right so there's a I, uh, I i guess now we've switched our empathy on and now we're we're more thinking about the perspective of tool builder tool builders because that's what we are this is me uh that was a really weird sound i just made <laughs> was that a word i couldn't tell what's happening <laughs> i guess that was a, a transition <laughs> sound uh the um, i i actually would care this idea of knowing what I feel like we do a lot of tracking when we build applications, you know, when it comes to like, oh, how many people use this? Uh, how many times does it crash? But we don't do a lot of tracking for usage. I know a few people, if you really, like people who pay attention to, to the details, I think Marco does that for Overcast. Or like, there's a few people like him that, that either one have the time uh, to, to dedicate to that. But I it seems like it's pretty damn important to know how people are actually using your tool because the, between the, the, the itch scratching phase and the, oh, wow, people are actually willing to pay for this phase, there's this moment where what it used to solve, the problem it used to solve for you doesn't really equate the problem it actually solves for most people or at least there's a point where at which is switch. Yep, totally. Um, and that's hard. That's a hard phase where, like, either you just let go and just give it to somebody else and sell your tool to somebody else who actually has an overlapping set of problems with the people who use the tool. But I guess that's part of the eighty twenty thing. Is like it's kind of like um, the poles of the earth re- reversing. Please, <laughs> this is not going to happen. By the way, Can well, we it please? is, but we'll get yes, to but it will take how many? It won't years? matter anything. A hundred years. It's, it's already happening. It's a whole right. thing. Yeah, but it takes nobody forever. actually cares. Right. I mean, it does happen. It's going to be one fun day, and then <laughs> no, right? I don't. Know. Anyway, so it, it, let's go back to the the shitty metaphor. Um, <laughs> I don't think we left. Wait. So there's a shift slowly happening. You don't really perceive it, and eventually you wake up one morning and you're like, "Holy crap! Like, why are people whining about these things that they're just like side issues, like not core feet?" Oh, yeah. They are core features now. Yep. Yeah, like there's totally, there's a point at which the people that actually use what you build is vast, are vastly different than the ones that you think are the people that use what you build. And that sucks. Does it? Well, it sucks. Because I, I, I don't think it does, though, because I think the first, uh, I don't know, let's say that there's a thousand people ever that are going to use your app, just for sake, let's say a hundred, because it's easier to do percentages that way. Well, right? Like it's, like the whole, it's like the whole bell curve graph, where uh-huh. the first... The early adopters of the of the application, the first ten people of that hundred that ever use your app, are going to fit the type of people that you are thinking of when you're building it, right? Mm-hmm. Which generally includes yourself, because <laughs> you're saying I'm building this thing; it's going to scratch my own itch. And the first ten percent of the people that are going to use that, whether that's you know people you tap tap to beta test it or just the first people that see it and and are attracted to it. Those are those are the people that are very similar to your workflow. And then it kind of ramps up towards like maybe it's not a bell curve, maybe it's more of just a hockey stick thing where the 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 more people you gather, the less like you they are. Because there's only so many people in the world that think like you do and that use tools like you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Olivia's trying to hold in <laughs> he thinks he's really funny today. It's fine. I'm always thinking. Anyway, the the first people that pick up your app are going to be people that you were thinking of when you're building it. But there's only so many of those. Yeah. And you can't really sustain anything on that. You need to break out into the people that aren't necessarily top of mind for you. So you're you're in that mindset, the tool you start to build generally tends to be focused on you or people mm-hmm. like you. 
and then that or or not even like you, but people that you focused on, right? And then and there's a point at which that's gonna that's gonna break, and and people outside of that group are gonna say, you know what, that thing seems kind of useful to me. If you build it well, it will Mm -hmm. attract other people like that. And then you have to you have to be okay with that and and realize that it's happening because you'll start building your tool differently. And I think that might be where where these types of things come from, where you know. Maybe the first people that used the word processor were, you know, authors and book publishers and people that wrote for a living. Mm-hmm. And after a while, the general public, when, you know, personal computing became a thing, realized, oh, a word processor would be pretty useful for me to write, write book reports and stuff for school or mm-hmm. write reports for business. They started catching on to that. And there was all these features in there that was built for book publishers or magazine publishers. Mm-hmm. And slowly, Word and other processors had to start building in functionality for everyday people. Right. And that's how it became such a big business. And the same thing happened with Photoshop. And the same thing happened with, you know, name, you know, text editors even. Yep. There's this this uh, this idea of uh, people outgrowing your tools that I first, I think, read about either in Getting Real from 37 Signals or Rework. And I remember this idea of being like this, being okay with that really bothered me because at the time I was I was at the phase of building my own scratch your own itch kind of tool and I was like no I don't want to do I don't want people to outgrow my tool that would be that would be a sad event and really eventually I guess this is for Slack is for me is a great example because this is a team of people who who are pretty damn good at building tools led by someone who really has the great ideas for building tools. And they've built building at a velocity that's just ever increasing. But when they started, of course, they needed a core group of people who really are one vocal about their tools like us and really, really need the tool. And then there's people who need it probably not as much. But if it's built well enough or caters well enough to them, then they'll they'll be like, oh my God, this is actually really, really useful. Exactly. Like even more than I expected. For Basecamp, it's kind of like the same idea. Like, I don't, I don't really think I need Basecamp anymore. Like, there's, there's never a moment in the week where I'm like, hmm, I wish I could talk about this on Basecamp. Because either GitHub fits my needs better or Slack actually fits my Slack needs better. Slack does a lot of time, yeah. Right. So, But the thing, you, Slack is at an interesting point right now with this type of conversation because you're saying that you don't want people to outgrow your application. but there's an I, instance I wish, I guess. you wish, but there's an instance where your app could grow outgrow the people that are using it right now, and that's where you start breaking into the other people, the other territories that people right. weren't really thinking about your app before. So like Slack just bought Screen Hero, mm-hmm. and some people using Slack right now don't even use Screen Hero, didn't even know about Screen Hero. They don't have a real need for screen sharing. That just might not be the type of business they're in, or but they're so still using, they or so they think, right? Mm-hmm. Slack adds this. To, to outgrow those people's needs because eventually those people probably will need something like Screen Hero. Mm-hmm. But Slack preemptively said, you know what? We need something like that on our system. Mm-hmm. We need that because when people want to start thinking elsewhere, we want to be ready to pick that up and pick right. up that need and, and continue on with it. Right. So like now while Slack is doing a very measured approach to it, I hope I hope they don't... My, my biggest fear is that Slack disintegrates Balloons. when it tries to go into right. Skype territory. Yep. Right, but... They're at least making a concerted effort to outgrow the needs of their users faster than the users' needs are outgrowing theirs, which could be dangerous. But. Right. The, and yet, see, this is, it's hard for me to be sure because, of course, when you're starting a tool, you want to, to make sure you've got bases covered. And one of the, the really impressive things with Slack, for instance, is that they've had a huge – well, of course, I, I wasn't in – I haven't used it since the very, very beginning because it was, it was private and then it was very limited. But for a while, I was really amazed when we first tested out uh, Slack for Code School, the, the huge amount of integrations and things that they have already built in, had already built in at the time. And I remember sending them a feature request because that's something that I do a lot. I, I love being early. For it's like Screen Hero is a great example. Like so, it's really early user of Screen Hero, and uh, and a, a bunch of other tools like this. And I would send either feature requests or like bug reports. And I would say, hey, it'd be really good if uh, this could be done. And then there's this phase, and I've observed this with uh, tools like Reamaze, for instance, where the company's really young and people are kind of like, we don't really know what our audience is. And if you send us feature requests like that, where actually it helps us define what our audience is, if you sound radically different from all the other people sending us emails, if there's any, then probably we should tell you 
yeah, we're, we're thinking about this, but really, we're not going to do it. Whereas Slack, and, and most of the time, when I send feedback and bug reports, people go, oh, my God, thank you so much. Yes, this is a great idea. Actually, here, uh, we have a prototype. Um, what about this? Like, does it fit your need? And I'm like, yeah, actually, it's pretty good. Like, it's like the overlap is 90%. Great. That's great. Great answer. The the Slack team, despite the fact that they had built this so huge, like, to me, astounding array of you know, small little features, some of them niche features around the tool. When I sent them feature requests or like little feedback stuff, they never really promised me, hey, we're going to work on this. And I remember that surprising me and thinking, oh, so they know very, very tightly what they're working on right now. And they're probably thinking, this is great that this person is willing to like talk to us, but we have to do this stuff that we're working on because we know... And that's probably where the stuff like screen review falls in. Like they, if you if you read, there's a really cool interview from uh, Stuart Butterfield, the 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 founder of Slack, the Wired one. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I'm trying to find it. Where he says that one of my favorite things I've ever heard someone, I think that's the most fascinating profile you'll ever read about a guy and his boring startup. That's a great title, <laughs> by the way. And I put that in. Slack. Hmm. Um, and then in this interview, he says one thing, and of course the internet is being super slow, but I, do you remember what he says about the tool? Um, this is an amazing thing where he, he's discussing, basically there's, there's either you wait for users to tell you what your tool should be, or you have a vision for your tool and you try to achieve that vision, and you know you're right because... Either at the time, your users kind of like are similar to you. And what Stuart Butterfield says is, uh, right now, I, I think it's horrible. Like, I think Slack is terrible. And when I use Slack, I'm like, this is probably one of the three best tools I've ever used in my life. And I'm, I'm, I do superlatives, but I don't really get excited that crazy about a tool when it's early on like that. GitHub is in that category. Slack is in that category. There's little things like smaller tools like Bugsnag, which I, I love. Like they make me happy every day. But it this thing just plopped into existence for me and then was like, wow, you just made my life so much easier. Horrible? Yeah, there you go. Nope, that's not it. Anyway, so yeah, he says it, it's terrible. Um, he thinks of it as a terrible thing because his taste and vision far outweighs or far outpaces what the reality of the tool today is, which I think is probably what prevents um, prevents people from outgrowing the app because he has such such a clear vision of where the app should be and it's not there yet. And all the people that are not fitting into the app's vision or the app's scope or the, the tool scope, sorry, will fall into it by just virtue of how how determined he is to get there uh, instead of the approach that Basecamp has, which is, hey, we have this really, really important core set of features. We want to do it excessively well, make it as smooth as possible. We're not going to do this voice chatting thing you want. There's other things to do that better than us. Boy, that was a long rant. That's fine. I liked it. Thank you. That's good. Anyway. This was this ended up at a different place than I thought it would, this whole thing. Far less angry. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I like Well, to... it's it was all somewhat related in that we were talking about setting expectations for the things you build. Yeah. And a lot of that is deciding what you're building. And you know, because like you're talking about Slack is is on a trajectory with what they're building. Mm -hmm. And because they have such a well defined trajectory they're laying the groundwork for those expectations so that Slack is doing what you expect it to. Right. So it's I guess it's like proactive versus reactive development of their application where they're saying we've built a groundwork or we I keep saying the word groundwork, I don't know why. We've built this roadmap for what we want to build. I like That's the word I meant better. to use. I meant to use the word roadmap first. Oh, sorry. But we're we're on this trajectory towards mm -hmm. this target and you kind of know that up front, so you know what to expect out of it. And then there's the people who say, well, I built this first thing. Try this first thing and tell me what you think of it. Mm -hmm. Tell me how you're using it. And a lot of people will say, 
I really like this thing that is happening, but it would be super useful to me if I could do this one other thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, you know, there's another approach which would say, just take all that in consideration and figure out where you're going then versus yep. someone that has a strong idea up front. Both of those things are good at setting expectations for where you're going. One has a tendency to, to fail more, which is let people tell me what to do, because then you get a little bit, you need a little mix of both, I guess is what I'm saying, because you need to be able to say that piece that someone brought up that they would like to use is is a very good direction for this to go in because it, it does the things that people expect of my application. So you can't just say yes to everything. You can't just say yes to every user when they say, it would be great if I could do this, because you'll end up with this crazy spaghetti code type thing. Mm-hmm. But if you can take that and build a measured approach around it and, and make sure that what you're building is what people expect, you have something that's going to last a long time and something that is going to find its way into integral you know, pieces of people's workflow. Mm-hmm. In the way that Siri hasn't become part of my life because I just don't use it, I don't know what to expect of it, it's never become a thing that I use. You can't rely you know, on it. I can't rely on it, but Slack totally is because I know what to expect of it and I know what I do with it and I love it. <laughs> and that's become a thing that is one of the first five apps I open on my computer every day. It's funny because Apple has never really put that much intense care. Oh, no, I care. I'm, I'm sure they care. That's not nice. But uh, into the, you know, that help interface for, for Siri, the little thing that tells us, oh, you little can try suggestions, this. suggestions, yeah. Yet that's, I Google seemed to have poured so much effort into Google Now, kind of like, you know, guiding you through, well, there's this weather thing that we can do and this location thing. Oh, by the way, you can talk to the app. Whereas I feel like this is might be what, what Siri is missing is this kind of like grounded into, yes, it can do more things and different things than a graphical user interface or a video can, but maybe grounding it more in something familiar to teach you how to use it and discover it this thing that you just typed here is a voice command that can do it, right? Kind of like what we were, kind of like, we, we touched on that, but the idea of, say, you reach for the, the setting to turn off Bluetooth like 30 times a day, then maybe at some point Siri should just come on. I don't know if that would be obnoxious, but like something Hi, should Olivia, say. I could do that for you. Somewhere in the menu, it should all it, it could say or notify you, kind of like a, as, a no, as a tip notification. A tip, tip. By the way, you can yeah. use Siri to do this, right? Do you know that? That would be a nice interface. Right. Yeah. And uh, I kind of want to finish on this, on it's slightly inspirational thing, but there's this uh, other podcast that came on since we had ours. Maybe it was just before ours um, called Startup. <laughs> a little... You know, little little podcast called Startup uh, by Gimlet Media, who uh, it's it's ran by um, Alex Bloomberg from Planet Money and This American Life. You know, small caliber people, and <laughs> and they made this episode about uh, prototyping and especially especially interface and expectation prototyping. So they were they were conceptualizing if they built an app, which they weren't convinced they needed to do. Um, what should it look like and what should it do? What what problems should it solve? And one of my, that's actually tool-wise is one of my mo- most exciting thing I've watched in a long time because I was convinced, I don't know if you've seen, have you seen the show? I haven't yet, no. So they basically, they're starting a podcasting network, right? And one of the things they talked about early on was maybe we should make this a platform. And to have this platform exist, they they were thinking, Hey, we should have an application, and the application should that that's how that's the the gateway to our platform. But in my head, I'm listening to this as a toolmaker, and I'm like, God, no, this is the worst idea. And and Marco Arment on the show, he's actually an investor in, the, in that company, uh, says, God, no, don't do this. This is the stupidest idea. I'm like, Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. There's someone. <laughs> there's one of us like representing. And then eventually, Alex Bloomberg starts to like get the sneaky idea that maybe that's a good idea. I'm like, no, please don't do it. And then they put this Google Ventures um, design sprint on. Basically, a bunch of people from Google Ventures reach out to them, to the team at, Gim- at Gimlet, and say, hey, um, we don't really necessarily want to invest in you, although they, I think they might have. But uh, we can help you kind of like get get that out of your system. In a week, we can do a little sprint in which we'll throw down all the ideas that we that excite you about what you want to build with this app and then we'll do a prototype for you and it's not going to be a real iOS app it's just going to be a HTML JavaScript and CSS prototype that looks 
like a real app, is fake, total fake. And you can that's exactly what you can see in this link that we're going to put in the show notes. And what I love about it is that the creativity they put in, in that thing, um, one, it matches the show's spirit. So it's just very whimsy, um, full of whimsy. It's a lot of like talking kind of th- stuff. So for instance, when you open the app, uh, Alex Bloomberg himself talks to you and says, hey, so this is the app. And he has this weird like hesitation kind of like us when we talk, but uh, he, he's not smooth. It's not like super rehearsed commercial. The welcome to the app. Click here for this, which would be That's super not clippy obnoxious. territory. No. And you, and there's actually literally a shut up button where you can tell him to shut up. And that's just endearing. <laughs> so even though that's endearing, when people tested this prototype, they were like, yeah, this, this is cute, but this is really annoying. And please don't do this. But other ideas they had in the app, for instance, uh, if you're watching or listening, actually listening to a show, there's uh, pieces of the context of the show showing up on the app as you're viewing it. So you don't have to click on a thing, go to a link, go to a website. It actually pops up some kind of document that talk, that is discussed on the show or some kind of graph that you would help you understand what's going on. And so it makes it immersive or at the same time, something like, Hey, donating or ads is difficult. If you want to subscribe to the show, the 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 application actually makes that stupid easy right there in the app and stuff like that. Like stuff that um you don't know would work or fit the needs of your listeners or your users until you've actually tried it out and experimented with the stuff that in theory if I just build it in my head sounds stupid. And this is where I guess the I, I kind of try to bring it back home with the scratching your own itch, finding the 80 and the 20. For me, if I was a developer at Gimlet Media, I would be fighting tooth and nail for, for people not to do this app. It's a terrible idea. And then this comes around, and then someone basically shows me that my taste, my perspective, is actually the minority. It's just not... The audience of the show actually could use this because they're not exactly they're not as savvy as I am. They don't know how to look up stuff on the Internet or find show notes as easily as I like to do. That's fine for me. <laughs> it's a it's a fine for Merlin kind of moment where you're like, yeah, of course you can find this on your own because you have the nerdiness or the just like you you would like to waste your time. 